0: This is George Chamberlain from Ritual Earth, and you're listening to the New Scene Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we are back with a brand new episode, and tonight is a great one, folks. We have the one, the only, Brian McTernan. We talk about his unbelievable recording and producing career. We talk about Be Well. We talk about Be Well's upcoming EP, Hello, Sun, which I have heard and which I love. We talk about battery. We talk about everything. We cover it all. Brian has done so much. His body of work is unparalleled. You're really going to love this conversation, and that's coming up momentarily. But folks, I need you to support the scene, the new scene, and here's how you can do it. We need reviews. We still need reviews. We have to get over a 100. We have to, and we're not there yet, but we're getting closer. Open up your Apple Podcasts or Spotify app. Give us five stars. And if you write a nice review in the Apple Podcast app, I'll read it on the air. Come on, you have to. We we, we just have to get there because I'm not going to stop asking you for the reviews until we get over 100. And I might not even stop asking after that, but if you can give us reviews, it really helps us out in the long run. So thank you to everybody who is doing that. And of course, we have a shirt available for sale. The new scene, Life is Music is Life, long sleeve shirt is available at Deathwish, Inc. Search the new scene. The shirt pops right up. It's a wonderful looking shirt. If I do say so myself, they are out there. People are wearing them. I'm wearing it. You'll love it. You need it. And your purchase of this shirt will help directly fund the show. It's really the best way to support us because we don't have a Patreon. I don't charge for any extra content. When I have bonus episodes, I just put them on our feed. I am giving you everything that I have, so you can help support us by purchasing the shirt. Also, there's a couple new things I have created for the podcast. Number one, we've got a TikTok now. Follow us on TikTok, New Scene Pod. I'm posting highlights from our large body of shows with some accompanying video, and I'm also posting clips from my Twitch streams. And I generally play Warzone when I'm on Twitch and hang out with people and just talk about whatever. So follow me on Twitch, the new scene, and turn on notifications so you get notified when I go live. And we have a brand new YouTube clips channel. I'm posting short highlights from some of our favorite episodes. The clips channel is linked from our main YouTube channel. So go follow them if you're not doing it. And also support our sponsor iodine recordings. As always, there's a lot going on at iodine. Merch has launched for the Darling Fire. And if you have not heard this band yet, I really recommend that you do so. I love what they're doing. The record is up for pre-order. There's a shirt available. I love the shirt design and you know I'm selective about shirt designs. I really like this one. Go and pick it up. Smoke or Fire has a new single up, Modesty. I've heard it. I love it. You need to hear it. Go check it out. And Iodine has merch as well. They've got shirts. They've got one of those uh, things that you put on top of the turntable to to uh, cover the record or whatever. I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not totally versed on vinyl. I don't know what it's called. Record plate. They have one of those things. They have a knit cap as well. I'm definitely going to get that. And I have one of the shirts. I like it a lot. I wear it all the time. Your purchase of the Iodine merch can help directly fund the label. So show us some support if you're able to. Okay, so I'm a little bit out of the loop as far as music news and any other news, because I've been so busy with the show and launching the Clip Channel and the TikTok and getting back on Twitch and doing a little bit of streaming. But I've got two song recommendations for you this week, folks. So here we go. A new one and an older one. The new one is Koyo. Now, if you have not heard Koyo yet, you really should. I heard the song Straight North, and it instantly grabbed me. It's that great post-hardcore emo-type sound that I absolutely love, similar to Anxious and One Step Closer. I think those bands are all friends. They're all doing really exciting stuff. So Koyo, Straight North, check out the song. And an older one, The New Rising Suns, Falling Out. The New Rising Suns was Garrett Klon's band after Texas is the Reason. They recorded a full-length for Virgin Records that never saw the light of day until recently. The song Falling Out has grabbed me. It is a real heartfelt, lazy Sunday-type song, and I really love it. Check them out. I'm going to add them both to our New Scene 2022 Spotify playlist, so you can go there and check them out or wherever you get music. Okay, so... Check back in with me at Segment 3. I'll talk about how I'm doing. But right now, we are going to speak to Brian McTernan. Enjoy. folks we're here now with brian mcturnan brian welcome to the show hey guys how are you oh we're doing great it's really exciting to have you here brian you've done so much like so much that i'm uh, actually blown away but first brian how are you doing today i'm great today is a great day it was sunny
1: and uh yeah i'm tired of the cold so (laughs) i'm ready for the next chapter
0: yeah, I'm tired of the cold as well. Sunday was great. The weather today was great. I had the windows open, and I didn't have to close them after five minutes because it was cold. I'm ready for the next season. It's time. Yes, it is. So you're still living in the Baltimore or Baltimore area, Brian? I would imagine I'm a Baltimore lifer,
1: to be honest. I can't can't quite imagine ever leaving here. Are you actually
0: in the city? I am.
1: Yeah, but we're we kind of lucked out, and we have a very cool We have a very cool house that's actually on an acre in the city. And we have we have like city park, like just woods on two sides of our house. So it's like, it's really like, I mean, it feels more like you're in like Woodstock or something. It's very cool.
0: I like Baltimore a lot. There's a couple cities that just have the most unique vibe unlike anywhere else. And Baltimore is one of them. So I'm always happy when I get to visit there.
1: So my thing with Baltimore is... I'm never the strangest person in the room, which is just works, (laughs) works really well for me. (laughs) And you can go, you can go to the nicest restaurant and wear shorts and an Orioles baseball hat and nobody blinks. So those things all work well for me. But it's, it's, it's funny because I grew up in DC and I hated Baltimore. I mean, the only time I ever would come to Baltimore was for like a show and the venues were always in bad neighborhoods. And so it was either like super bad neighborhoods or like the inner harbor, harbor super touristy thing. And I just didn't I didn't have a handle on like how, what a cool city it is. And because it's like broken up into like lots of little neighborhoods. It's And so if you don't know the city well, you probably think it's like a real shithole. And it is, asp- I mean, I always say it's the best of the best and the worst of the worst. You know, we have, like, amazing people, amazing restaurants, amazing music venues, an incredible music scene, and then you could definitely get killed, you know?
0: Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Philly in uh, appearance in some parts, and what you just described, the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Yeah, but, you know, uh, for me, we we have – there's an
1: incredible music scene here. It's actually – It reminds me in some ways of when I lived in Boston, where there was just this like core group of people that were all in a lot of different bands, but were all just like incredibly talented and very supportive of one another. Like, there's like, you don't have a lot of that like weird jealousy shit going on here. Like, if you bump into musicians, they're so excited about the other shit that other musicians are doing, and they're not like, you know, I mean, I, th- there's a lot of plate-like scenes where I think that people feel like, you know, something good happening for someone else means that that good thing isn't happening for them. And I really feel like here, it really feels like everybody is kind of like supportive and feels like, you know, I guess the rising tide lifts all ships kind of vibe. So it's been it's been exciting to to be here and to like, you know, see, you know the. Turnstiles and the angel dusts and praise and minds like all this, this community of bands just really doing just incredible things and um, different things from one another. It's not like any of the bands sound alike.
0: Yeah. I, th- and that's the attitude I think is to just be happy for people. And like you said, the rising tide lifts all ships. When I was younger, I would get jealous a lot or think, why isn't this happening for me? And I don't know, maybe I was just more immature than everybody else, but being older now and the field being kind of leveled it just seems like everybody is more supportive in general and i love that well it's funny cuz for me I, I always have felt like
1: something awesome happening for somebody i know means that it could potentially also happen for me <laughs> you know what i mean it, yeah. it makes it makes things and it makes me really excited to see good people have success and i mean you know being you know being in music it's really hard to be successful and so I, like I, I've really like made an effort to not, you know, to not to like be excited for people and not be judgy about how it happens because it's like the things that people give up in their lives to do this is are it's just it's it's really hard to even quantify and I think that people that aren't in music don't realize that there aren't hours and that you're responding to emails at six o'clock in the morning and midnight and you're losing money. And people, you know, as you're successful, people get jealous and take shots at you, you know, and and are in, and I, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I just think that like being a musician, being a creative person in general, whether it's a label person, podcast person, artist, it's a fucking tough life. And it's really, really hard to do it and, and make it your living. So almost everybody then has these other jobs. And then to to do all that and come home and open up Twitter and have somebody say something snarky, it's just, I don't know, man, I it, 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 it bums me out.
0: Does it still get to you when people do that? When you see a snarky comment? I was reading an interview where your daughter was looking at the comments of a Be Well video and someone was like, oh, this isn't hardcore. Does that kind of stuff bother you still? You know what? It does. I, and, 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 I, and and I'm and i working on l-
1: having it not bother me. I mean, like, you know, it's like the third Hot Water single just came out. And every fucking comment has been, like, unbelievable. And then there's one comment that's like, oh, I miss when they did, like, the more Fugazi-style stuff. And, like, this just sucks. And, and it's like, I wanted to respond and be like, but just wait till you hear the record. It's like, you know. And I'm <laughs> like, why the fuck do I give a shit? You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it is a pro. It's not a good thing, and it's and it. And I know that, like, I shouldn't care, Um, but it it it. Yeah, the the negative stuff does does get to me, and I I also just think that the negative comments and negative tweets and posts and just that stuff in general. Like, I just don't get. I don't understand. Like, what what good comes from that? like I just think it makes people look bad period and you don't have to love everything and you can, you know, everybody can say what they, they want to say, but ultimately I just, I just think that like, you know, somebody sitting at home on their phone or their, you know, laptop or whatever the fuck they're doing. It's so easy to just be critical of other people when you have no fucking idea how hard and what they've given up to get to that point. And For someone whose entire peer group, you know, like my, pretty much my entire social network are either musicians, record label people, band managers, artists, you know, creative people. And they have to live so frugally and give up so much in their life and be away from their families. The dads at the bus stop that I see who have like regular ass jobs, I mean, you know, It's just, it's a totally different life. And I think that when you're not giving those things up and it's really easy to just like take shots at people and, and I don't know, it's uh, I think it's Twitter in particular, actually before I was doing be well, I just didn't spend any time on Twitter, but Twitter is like a cesspool of negativity. And the only way you can really like get attention is by saying something either really funny or really mean.
0: And yeah, I can tell you from experience, I used to be one of these guys who was angry and just talk shit about everything. And this was back when just message boards were a thing before social media. And I think it's because I wanted to be involved in things and I wasn't, you know, so I'm sure there's a lot of that going on or people are just critical because you don't see artists. You generally don't see artists or people who are actually creating things out there saying, Hey, this sucks or Hey, that sucks. You suck. It's usually just people who aren't actually making anything. And, you know, if if people who aren't actually making anything are critical of something I'm doing, it's going to carry a lot less weight. I'm like, oh, well, you're just some person saying that what I do sucks. So what? What are you doing?
1: Yeah. I mean, like, you know, as Ian McKay would say, what the fuck have you done, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, I, I, but, I mean, I think it started bothering me more in the pandemic because so many people that are like my closest friends – were just financially devastated. Their hearts were broken repeatedly by tours getting booked and canceled, booked and canceled, booked and canceled. And in all you see online is this like toxicity, and 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 not not as much on like Instagram and things like that, but really Twitter. It's it's um it's a it's it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a dark place, but it it does give people you know artists a format to like connect with people and promote their shows and stuff. So, it's just balancing that has been, it's it's been an interesting
0: thing. Brian, let's get to know you
1: a little bit. You said you grew up in the DC area? Yep. I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, which is a nice little, like, you know, I, literally backs right up to DC. So, it was it was a nice place to grow up. Tell us about growing up there. Completely insane. I mean, I, my life, my home life was crazy you know my um my house was chaos um my brother and I were pretty much like i don't know you know <laughs> raised ourselves in some ways and we got into like punk and hardcore i went to my first show when i was 10 and it was just like you know i mean it's insane cuz i have a 14 year old daughter and i in the shit i was doing when i was her age was like you know <laughs> very different than what she's doing
0: I read a little bit about you. It sounded like you had some tough times growing up. And a lot of those were documented in the battery song, My Last Breath. So talk about some of that. What did you experience? And did you come out on the other side of it? Um,
1: I mean, I, I, I guess I would say I'm coming out on the other side of it now, which is like a very strange thing to say. But I mean, my whole, my family, both my parents suffer from different mental illnesses and we had our our home life was just complete chaos I mean I think I was in therapy by the time I was in like first or second grade and um and I think that like you know if I look back at it it, it when I was a kid it really manifested as like my depression and anxiety manifested as like anger and like acting out you know I was getting arrested and, you know, hooking up lots of girls. And just, I got kicked out of school multiple times. And that all kind of culminated with when I was in ninth grade, my parents finally put me in a mental hospital for a period of time. And that's kind of what, that's entirely what um, that battery song, My Last Breath, is about. And, you know, the thing about it is it, it probably was the right decision. It just the way things were handled and talked about then is very different than now. It was much less acceptable to have mental health issues when I was a kid. And, and I think that, um, my parents kind of followed the lead of the doctor. So one of the things that was like the most traumatic thing was I growing up in DC, like I went to this big school with like lots of jocks and lots of like, it was very wealthy actually. It was a public school, but, we didn't grow up wealthy, but the school was fairly wealthy. And I ended up just having a lot of conflict all the time with people. And the thing was that I knew all these kids that went to private school that like the DC private school scene has always been like a lot of like music musicians and things like that came out of that world. So I knew these kids that were very similar to me that were doing well in school and weren't getting in the same kind of problems. So I had been telling my parents, like, if I went somewhere like that, I'd be fine. So, it's a the, the long story how it happened. But I finally, like, some bad shit happened. And my parents, my psychologist told my parents that I should be hospitalized. And they that she was afraid that if they told me that I would run away. So, my mom told me that we were going to get tested so that I could go to um, one of the private schools that I thought I could be successful at. So, we got to the hospital. we walk in the front door of the hospital, and we're walking and then, all of a sudden we walk through this door and my mom doesn't come through with me and then the door closed behind me, and they were like, "Oh my God, you're staying here and it was it was really fucked up, and it was also like I think it's not you're not allowed to do it now, but I was on this ward that was adults and kids, so like my like group sessions were with adults like <laughs> Talking about adult ass shit. And then I think probably the most traumatic thing about all of it was that I think my parents felt like they were protecting me, but they, they didn't tell they, they, they were, they didn't tell any of my friends or anybody what happened. My, everybody just like, did not know where I went. And also what came along with that is literally, I didn't have like one visitor for the entire Ugh. month that I was there. I think my brother came to was gonna come see me one time and his car broke down or there was snow or whatever. But like my friends didn't even know I was there. And um I um I mean I'll be honest, like I didn't really ever talk about it. And I I kind of took from that, you know, something that I had no control over was something that I should be ashamed of. And um I don't know, I just did that concept not just with me but like with kids in general just breaks my heart like how many like trans kids or gay kids or kids that have been like molested or raped or whatever have like just lived their whole life feeling like something that is just happened to them or is integral to who they are as a person is something to be ashamed of like And I'll tell, like I said, like I'm coming out on the other side of it now, but it's really only in the last few years that I even talked about any of this stuff with anybody. So it's, you know, it was, it was, it was a very fucked up, it was a very fucked up time in my life. And, um, you know, I got out of the hospital and things weren't better. I, I, I bounced between like three or four different schools and eventually dropped out of school. And then I just started playing music, touring and, and eventually recording bands. And I, um, actually, I married my, I, I'm, (laughs) I started dating my, now as my wife when I was in high school and, um, she got into Harvard the same week that I dropped out of school. <laughs> so her, her, good catch her, her parents were like, what the fuck are you thinking <laughs> with this guy? But what, what ended up happening was I was, I was, um, I was in a band called ashes and we, they were all going to college and I wasn't. So Matt Squire, who was our drummer, he got into BU, Elena, our singer, got into Brown, and then our bass player got into NYU. So it, we all thought like, oh, we'll keep the band together. And we just thought it made sense to that I would move to Boston. But then my girlfriend got into Harvard and was also moving to Boston. So it made even more sense. And it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because the second I got away from a lot of the kids that I grew up with, and was just like away from my home life. I really pulled my shit together, I guess I would say. And
0: I wanted to ask about that because one, I think it's important to hear and talk about these things because like you described, back then there was no, or at least for me, and it sounds like for you, there was no conversations. There was no talking to my parents and saying, hey, I need to work through this. There was no therapy. You know, you'd go to the school therapist and that little trailer outside and, but I don't know, there it It seems like there was many less solutions back then. So I wanted to ask you, how did you work through it and did you get better? Now, like you, Brian, I didn't really start to improve myself until the last five years. I really struggled with drugs and alcohol for a long time. It got worse no matter what I did. And it took a lot of outside help to work through of all those issues and uh, sift through the wreckage of my past and start to uh, really heal talk about your experience. I mean, did you, moving out of your parents' house and away from your neighborhood and those people that you were around, did you f- start to improve? Did you, I mean, did, were you able to, like, live more of a normal lifestyle, I guess? I
1: did. I mean, I I, I entirely stopped getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, I stopped getting in fights. I stopped, like, I had been really Big into graffiti and I, and stopping doing that was good because I stopped getting arrested all the time. <laughs> and, um, but I mean, you know, it's interesting though, because I, I dropped out of high school, but I hated, I, and I hate the idea of being a failure. I really do. And it's interesting because I'm not a competitive person at all, but I, I don't like to think of myself as like a failure or not like that, not trying hard, not caring. Like, and and I think that like I got to Boston, and I think the fact that so many people that I grew up with thought I would never be able to make that work, didn't think I could make the studio work, didn't think I could make the band thing work. I I don't want to say I had a chip on my shoulder, but like I really wanted to prove to myself that they were wrong. <laughs> and um it was hard i mean i i was you know 18 years old and the thing back then that i don't think people realize is like the like young guy with a recording studio that's inexpensive thing that it comes from your world that wasn't a thing that really existed and you know typically back then you would go to some like nice studio to record and you'd have to like bring records to play them to show you show them what you wanted. And um, so I I moved to Boston and I set up my studio. I was living in a house with um, a bunch of like hardcore kids. And th- we had like a cellar that I put my studio in and I slept on a mattress on the floor in the dining room. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to record all these bands. It's going to be amazing. And then the first three months I was there not one person booked the studio, not one. <laughs> and I was like r- going around putting flyers up, of, and I ended up getting a job at this video store. And then I really lucked out one day because um, Rama Mayo from Big Wheel Recreation, uh, he put out like the Pieball, you know, he put out a lot of um, like cast iron hike, like a bunch of cool Boston bands back back in the day. And he stopped by to. One day to like see one of my roommates and my roommate was like oh brian has a studio in the basement and he do you guys know the band cast iron hike yeah okay so he was like well i have this band and they need to do a demo so maybe they they can record it with you and i was charging ten dollars an hour back then so (laughs) um so and that so cast iron hike was my first like paying client and what happened that was really cool was it was meant to be a demo but it came out really good and it ended up you know the thing i lucked out with is those guys were like excellent musicians and they had good taste and they had good gear and i just didn't have to do i kind of i knew that like just to kind of get out of the way and try and capture what they were doing and not overcomplicate things and that came out really good and then like literally after like 3 months of like not even a sniff from that point through in the next year i went on to record converge kaven piebald 108 10 yard fight bane texas is the reason i mean it's everybody. i mean basically j june catch it face i mean like
0: brian you're like my rick rubin honestly <laughs> if you look at the whole if you look at the whole list of albums you've recorded it's unbelievable i could do a whole interview with you just like chris farley style like you remember when you recorded this record uh-huh. yes that was really awesome like <laughs> just like 2 hours it's it's pretty incredible how do you look at it like do you look back on the body of your work and- well
1: so it's changed actually and and interestingly a huge reason that it's changed is actually all like doing podcasts and doing interviews because the interaction we just had about my career I never had an interaction like that with anyone until recently because my entire, you know, like obviously, you know, you're recording bands, so you're talking to them, but like you have like this thing where it's like, you're either talking to bands about recording them or you're recording bands, or you're like up for projects that you're not getting or the bands that you've been working with are going on to work with someone else. And all of those things are super healthy, Right but i never interacted with people that just loved the records <laughs> themselves right <laughs> and i know that sounds really fucking weird to say but i never did interviews i up until recently i never went to shows because the thing about going to shows is bands if you go say hi they think you're trying to like get business And that always (laughs) weirded me out. You know what I mean? Like you can't, it's like you'd come back like, oh, that was a good set. Hey, man, that's cool. We're recording with someone else. It's like, well, I wasn't just saying you had a good (laughs) set, set. Or you have this weird thing that I've never experienced as a band member, but everyone thinks they're a producer, right? Everyone can listen to a record and be like, oh, I love that drum sound. What the fuck are they doing with those guitars? You know, whatever. So (laughs) this weird thing happens where people want to talk to you, but they don't want to kiss your ass. And they want to tell you (laughs) what they would have done differently. And I think nobody, nobody quite understands what... Making records is a collaboration, right? So it's not like the Brian McTernan sound or the Brian McTernan way of doing things. It's like... Figuring out what's right for the band, incorporating what they really want with what your tastes are, and kind of working together to like realize a vision. So it's like you might think that the first turnstile rec- the turnstile record I did sounds totally insane, and I do too. But it was their record, and I ultimately think they were right with what they wanted it to sound like, which was crazy. <laughs>
0: and why? Why is that? Why is that?
1: Well, so it was funny actually, because I did a mix of it that I thought sounded totally awesome. And I sent it to them and they were like, it sounds really pro and really good, but too normal. Like I want it to sound a little fucked up, like unusual <laughs> and not just like, and in the end, I literally almost quit the re- not quit, but I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm the right guy. <laughs> you know, this sounds totally insane. But the thing about it is part of being a producer is, trusting the band's vision as well like you like it was super clear to me that those guys knew exactly who they were exactly what they wanted the record to sound and feel like and exactly who their fans were right so there are times when you have to step in and help bands understand those things but when a band knows those things you just get the fuck out of the way that's it and and you realize that the listening experience isn't all about like professional fidelity like the record sounds kind of insane in a good way and it was it helped them with i think standing out and being a different band which is everything they do is different than what everybody else is doing you know what i mean even the way they roll out the record that's just who they are and identifying that and saying even if this is like a little outside my comfort zone but these guys have a vision
0: and I'm not going to like get in the way of that. When you heard the mix that you were doing, were you like, I can't put this out. This, this sounds nuts. Yes, I was. <laughs> I was. So you said you almost, you almost backed out of the whole well, thing. No, I think I, I said like, oh my God,
1: I'm like, I really struggled to get it to a place that they were happy with. Um, <laughs> And not the recording. It was the mix, you know, the mix, right, the mix right. portion. And um, we finally got together, like in the studio together. And it was like, they were like, yeah, more of that, (laughs) more of that. Yeah. And it was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, but my point with that is, I can't tell you how many people have been like, what the fuck's up with the drums on the turnstop? Like, and it's like, dude,
0: why don't you call Daniel and talk to him about it?
2: (laughs) Yeah. And the
0: other thing is, it's a moment in time. Everyone's working together You're dealing with the situation of the moment. Any idiot can sit there in retrospect and be like, I would have done this. Oh, like what? You would have convinced turnstile to go with a different set? No, you wouldn't have.
1: Well, and if you had, you would have been wrong. Because look at the trajectory of their career. They've bet on themselves every single time and been fucking right every single time. So that is part of being a, a creative shepherd in people's worlds, right? There are plenty of times where I've said to bands, you're off track, right? You have like lost focus on where you need to go. And I've, my job in some situations has been bringing people back to where they need to be and wrangling in some ideas that were maybe not good ideas.
0: (laughs) You know, I want to ask a question about that. Now talk about a time that things were really kind of spiraling out of control and you just had to step in with your expertise and, and pull everything together. Now, if you want to name a band, that's okay. If you can't, that's okay too.
1: I don't want to name a band. I don't mind telling that turnstile story because they were right and I was wrong. So that that that's okay for me. I, I would just say, in general, making records is fucking hard. It really is hard. And the more of them you make, the harder it gets. And every record is every record in your career is a different thing, is a different stress. So it's like record one, right? It's like nobody knows who the band is. There's all this pressure to define who the band is. Set the bar. This is the first thing people are really going to hear. And the options are kind of limitless, right? Well, then record two, what happened? And the first record, you have your whole life basically to write it. Record two is the hardest record. And it's one of the reasons that, so many bands second records are not as good is that you go out, you support that first record forever and ever. And then all of a sudden you have this tight window where you then have to write and record a record in order to be able to keep going out on the road all the time. And the other thing you have is that you all of a sudden have all these opinions about what's good and what's bad about your band. And as much as you want to block that out, it's almost fucking impossible. Right? So it's it's really hard to not either want to make a radical, responsive record that is just completely different just because you just feel like it needs to be different because people – whatever. Or there's the thing like, oh, that went so well. Let's just make chapter two. Like the same thing but different. And it's really, really hard. And as you get into three and four and five and six, then – Typically, if you're at that point, all of a sudden, this band, this thing you just started with your friends is your career. It's your livelihood. It's your future. It's your everything. And you're often on the road all the time. And like, your life is weird. You don't have those like, interpersonal daily interactions with your family and your friends that typically inspired the lyrics early on in the band. So what you're drawing from is totally different. So making records is hard. And I think to be a good producer, you have to be able to modify your approach to any given situation. So what my role will be in that situation can be anywhere from, you know, saying, none of these songs are good, we got to start over, (laughs) to just saying, this is fucking great, let's just document it as is, and let's not fuck with it, to, hey, these lyrics are terrible. We, I mean, it's never the same. And I think that's one of the things that's so magical about it.
0: So you've actually had to tell a band, none of these songs are good, let's start over. Did you do that? And then they wrote great songs, and you worked together and got it done? Has that happened? Yeah. Wow. So, like, you wouldn't like send them home and be like, "I have other shit to do." You'll well, so so typically typically I, I like to get
1: involved much earlier in the process. That like I like to like get demos from people and be in corresponding with them and giving them feedback. I I'd, I would never just drop that on someone day one in the studio. You know what I mean?
0: Uh um, Okay.
1: But you know, you every situations are, you know. Um, here, and here's an example that I don't, I feel comfortable talking about because I just listened to a podcast <laughs> about it is, um, do you guys know Monine? Yeah. The red tree. Well, so this, this was an example of just a tough situation where the band had done demos. We had time booked. I liked the demos to be honest. And right before the band was meant to come in, the label fin- listened to the demos and decided they didn't like the demos. And wanted to pull the plug and wait until they got stuff that they liked more, and I ended up saying to the band, "Just fuck it, just come down and we'll we'll work on the songs, and we'll send them the label, and then they'll be psyched and they'll want us to make this record but that sounds easy, but then what happens is the band comes down, and my job is to help Shepherd." you know, the creative process, but also make sure that we end up having songs that will be pal, demos that will be palatable for the label while trying to insulate the band from the pressure of (laughs) that feeling that like, if this shit isn't good, there may not be a record, right? So it ended up being a really, you know, tough situation at first because I think that I was trying to Like, we definitely needed to clean this stuff up. And I was trying to protect the band from that. But then the band was feeling like, Brian's just trying to change the stuff to make the label happy. And he's like, proxy for the label. And it ended up being great because Kenny, the singer, and I went out to lunch one day and we just talked. (laughs) You know, we just, he said, I'm concerned about this. And I said, I'm concerned about this. And we ended up, 100% on the same page. We had a tough, you know, had it out. And I then understood what I was doing that was making them feel additional pressure. And they understood what we needed to be able to get back to the label in order to make the record we wanted to make. And so we had a tough week, and then a brilliant week, sent the demos to the label. Three months later, the band came back. And not only did they come back, but they went home and wrote some of the best songs on the record. That wouldn't have happened, you know. Had that whole thing not happened, and had we not kind of like gotten those demos, and had them been so exciting, and had the label be so excited, like a whole, I would say, a good portion of that record got written after the fact, and so it was just a very cool, you know. When when all that works out, it's really cool.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you invest a lot of time. And effort up front and during the process, and that makes sense because looking at your body of work, I mean, you've worked with every one of my favorite bands. Speaking of, you recorded that first Texas is the Reason EP, yes? I did, yes. Let's talk about that a little bit because those three songs are like my father, son, and Holy Ghost, basically.
1: Yeah, they're pretty fucking good, right? So that was, was, again, it was a very similar situation to Cast Iron Hike in that the band- came up to record that and it was not meant to be a record it was meant to be a demo and they i they hadn't played a show yet and i had known everybody in the band um everybody except the bass player scott i i knew i knew chris daly from the ashes playing with resurrection i knew norm from ashes playing with shelter and I knew Garrett because he was a roadie for Split Lip and Chamberlain. And Ashes played with them all the time. So we were, I knew all of them. And I didn't know anything about the band. And they, I was just excited to like see them and, you know, hang. And um, I mean, I figured it would be good because they're all good. But I didn't know it would be as good as it was. And in that era, um, I wasn't like, I wasn't like producing the way that I do now. I mean, I just basically like we got cool sounds. It was the right environment where they felt comfortable. And I felt comfortable enough with them that I could like experiment and not feel like, Oh, these guys are going to think I'm an idiot. (laughs) You know what I mean? When, which is sometimes hard when you have to remember that I was 18. So it's like, a band of like 25, 26 year old like people that have recorded in professional studios come into my little cellar sometimes. And you you know, human nature, it's like you want to prove yourself and you don't want to make mistakes. Well, fortunately, with the Texas guys, I wasn't, wor- I felt really comfortable with them and I wasn't really worried about making mistakes. And they gave me plenty of room to take my time to get it to sound good. And then I think the vibe was just great. Like, it was we we had a blast and the songs were just so fucking good
0: and the thing is like good songs just sound better you know yeah and um did you hear that even back then when they recorded those songs did you think oh this is really going to be something
1: uh i mean i didn't know that we'd be talking about it 27 years later because i just <laughs> it, i had you know i was only 18 <laughs> so the yeah. concept of that was hard but it blew my mind. I mean, I, it's pretty rare that you hear something that sounds like nothing you've ever heard before. Right. So, I mean, it was, I I don't know, like that kind of drop D melodic, you know, a little bit of like everything I love that was happening mixed in with like some really new feels. Yeah. I, I, I was pretty, I, I think I, I, I listened to that the tape until it didn't play anymore you know um, and yeah I, I did that too <laughs> and the the funny thing about it was we never even really mixed it it was like the last they, they it was a sunday that they were heading home they got there late on a friday night we recorded it like into the middle of the night friday and saturday and um and then that sunday morning i woke up really early and just ran off a mix gave it to them And I didn't think that anything would ever come of it. And then one day out of the blue, Jordan from Revelation called my house and was like, hey, do you have that master? And I'm like, that what? (laughs) Uh, And uh, (laughs) I sent it to him and it was pretty cool. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, so that was, that was, that seven inch was the game changer in my career because it was like, I mean, Converge and Piebald and like all of those bands were, really awesome it's not like texas was better than those bands but the thing that happened with texas is the reason is they weren't just boston band. like they they all of a sudden were on revelation then all of a sudden they were a national band and then it was like it was like oh we could record with brian you know what i mean like i think that was like you know that that kind of like opened the door you know the I ended up doing the 108 threefold misery record because of Texas is the reason. And and all, everything ended up just kind of like, it, there was a domino effect from that record on that really changed my life.
0: You know, do you ever listen back to any of them? And you're like, man, I really nailed that. I mean, threefold misery. Come on. I mean, I, honestly, kind of all of it. I mean, I not to sound in, like,
1: okay. When I look back at the things that, we, you know, I don't I don't want to say I did, but the things that we all created together the, with the bands that I worked with, with the technology that we had at that time and the lack of nice equipment, it blows my mind to be like quite honest with you. Like that stuff was really cool and holds up pretty well. And, you know, I was 18, 19. I had you know <laughs> most you know i have nicer equipment on my laptop in front of me than i had at my disposal then you didn't have any of the tools to fix things you didn't have couldn't trigger the drums you couldn't tune the vocals you couldn't grid at it And any of the stuff that like young kids do now to make things sound professional when they wouldn't otherwise and i think there was just like i mean i i, listen, I look at that stuff and i think like wow it's fucking cool That we and I, it's kind of hard to believe that we were able to do that. And it's not a testament to me; it's a testament to the community and the musicianship and the creativity amongst everybody that was involved.
0: Well, you know, as an outsider, I can say that that's definitely warranted because the body of work is incredible. I'm I'm envisioning a uh, part two interview, Brian, where we just go album through album and and tell stories. But uh, we're going to talk about that when the mics go off. Now. You worked as a producer for a long time. You know, you had been in Ashes, you had been in Battery, but the focus now is on producing. Did you miss playing live? Did you ever think that you would get back to it?
1: I did not think I would ever get back to it. When Actually, there's one, the band th- that happened that you didn't mention was this band called Milltown that I was in, and we we got signed to a major label, and... It was like, you know, in that era when it was like, you know, everybody was getting signed. We got a huge record deal and we went into the studio with a really shitty producer. And we ended up essentially, we never finished the record and very soon after we broke up. And at that point in time, I decided to move back to DC. So I had a... I don't want to get it too deep into this, but I had a falling out. I had some business partners in Boston at, towards the end that I had a falling out with. And so my trajectory had been like, move to Boston, recording bands, getting signed to a major label. Like everything was breaking my way. Battery was on Revelation. Miltown was on Warner Brothers. The studio was going great. And then literally over the course of three months, I had this awful falling out with my business partners. Battery broke up, and Milltown broke up. And I basically moved back to D.C. with my tail between my legs and started over. And I didn't really have enough money at the time to build a professional studio. So I ended up renting a house with my wife and a friend of mine, and just started recording bands in the house again. And, um, And that year was, again, another kind of pivotal magical year for me that was the first year that i was like only producing and um in that house i mean we did we did part of cave and jupiter there we did the movie life um this time next year we did explosion flash 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 my god the amount of records we did at that house with frotus and we washed our weapons in the sea drowning man i mean i don't know so fair weather strike anywhere, I mean so many the crazy thing is all of that happened in an eight month window, and no, yes, and then I saved up money, and my wife and I bought a house in Beltsville, Maryland, and I built a studio behind the house that was like a much more professional studio and then that then it was just kind of off to the races and then then my next big break was. Um, when hot water music hired me to do a flight and a crash, because again, that was the first time that a band that was not a band that I was involved with from their earliest stages. So like, like Kaven, you know, doing Jupiter and doing that, like I had recorded their demo and their seven inch and, you know, so it was like, I was a part of that trajectory already where hot water music signed up deal with epitaph and hired me and we didn't have a professional relationship i wasn't involved in the demo and the seven inch and all that so that ended up being you know one of the first records i did at my new studio and that was a real game changer not only in terms of like you know hot water music bands love and respect that band so much so that just brought a lot of bands but also I'm still making records with them now i just finished a new record with them you know and they're they're like we've done four hot water records and a draft record and t- jason and i did an unwed record and i mean it's just crazy like i can't even imagine my life without them you know what i mean it's like and that just started from like hey we're looking for somewhere to record can you give us a quote <laughs> and you know then 25 years later, we're still talking on the phone every day. And I mean, that's like the best thing about all of it.
0: It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. But Brian, you are in an excellent new band now. Be well. Now, I love this band. I love the debut 2020 record, The Weight and the Cost. I got a sneak preview of the new record coming out, and I'm going to get to that. But let's talk about this band first. You've You'd been inactive for a while because Battery broke up, and you know there was a reunion, and you did a European tour in I think 2017. But tell us about how you became interested in performing again, and how that all came about with Be Well.
1: Um, Battery had been getting opportunities to do things forever, and you know uh, uh, routinely we would get asked to do things, and we almost always said no, and especially when I was recording bands full time. I just it was not something that was like in the forefront of my mind and then there I think maybe 2013 or t- 2014 I got really really burnt out recording I just needed a break and so I actually sold the studio and I took a job job like the first you know like the first like regular ass job I'd ever had What
0: kind of job was it
1: So initially I was a project manager at this construction company. Um, So side note, I had always been building my studios myself because that's just kind of what you did, you know? And then I kind of parlayed that into buying houses and fixing them up and selling them. And I, I like construction for the same reason that I like music in that I like the idea of like creating things that don't go away. And so it scratched a lot of itches for me so i thought oh maybe i'd be happy doing that so i got a job as a project manager there and then within 6 months they made me the coo and i was like running you know we we were it was a big company and we're, like our clients were like usaa and amica and travelers and geico and things like like we did like build backs like re- insurance type shit. But that um, paid really well, but was fucking miserable, like completely miserable. And I like had not prepared myself for what a whole walking away from music would leave in my soul, <laughs> not to sound dramatic, but <laughs> really, you know, I, I up until that point, I had spent every day of my life with the most incredibly talented people you could ever imagine. And all of a sudden, I was doing something that meant absolutely nothing to me with people that made me hate humanity. And um, <laughs> so <laughs> while it, it, while that was happening, uh, a battery opportunity came to go to Europe and play this big festival and go back and play uh, this venue called Coney Island that had the best shows of my life have were there and s- the people that book that place and run that place are still like dear friends of mine to this day so i just felt like you know what i should do this and the interesting thing is i thought it would be the last time i ever played music live so much so that i flew my wife and daughter over to see the show because i thought they'd never see me play again and so an interesting thing happened leading up to that which was I, um, I had something to look forward to. (laughs) I had something to think about that I cared about. And, and I hadn't had that in a long time. And I remember my wife and I, like leading up to that, I remember her saying, you seem good. Like you seem better like this, because I was not to get too into it, but like, leading up to that i was very unhappy and uh, and like like years of kind of untreated depression coupled with the misery of working that awful job really turned into me drinking more than i should and kind of like isolating even more from people in my life than i had been and um all of a sudden this music thing was back and i remember sitting like we we're flying home and I just said to my wife, like, I need to be making music. Like, I d- like, and I had no thought that it would turn into what Be Well is, has turned into. But I literally, like, my goal with the band was, oh, my God. Like, it was just to be able to, like, play, you know, a local show and, like, just have some – have things on my calendar in the future to look forward to. And – so I got back and I started writing and writing and writing and writing. And um at first, I thought that maybe it would be a new battery record. Like that seemed logical and much easier. And for a whole host of reasons, it didn't become that. And, and honestly, it's the best thing in the world that it didn't become that because the guys that make up Be Well are just – the most wonderful people you could ever imagine meeting and i I feel you know very the interesting thing for me with be well is like it's like i love the music i love the creativity but like the um internal camaraderie is probably the thing that is the most meaningful in my day-to-day life like I have this like group of people that love me and I love them. And like, I just feel very like, you know, like appreciative and, and I mean, seen by them and appreciated by them. And I feel like, like battery was always a weird thing because when battery started, I was like 13 and Ken Olden, the primary guitar player was like 19. So we were never a band that was friends the way that the be well guys and I are like, I can't imagine anybody I'd rather hang out with than my bandmates and battery was never like that. Like it was fun. And Ken and I were friends, but we weren't, there was always this huge age gap. And also just like personality wise, we're so different. The be well thing. I think that we all just kind of thought like, Oh, this will be cool. We'll play a show here and there and we'll make music. And now it's really become, I mean, I can't even believe how much we're doing. It's kind of fucking crazy.
0: Yeah, you know, that brings me to the question, how do you find the energy to do everything you're doing? Because you're touring, you're playing shows, you're recording records, you're doing it all. And I go to band practice once every week if I'm lucky, and I'm carrying the guitar and the pedal board and everything upstairs, and I'm like, I can't do this anymore.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess this is what I would say, is that I I had about five of the darkest, scariest, years of my life where i had you know i felt like i was a bad father i know i was a bad husband i was absolutely miserable i was drinking too much i was not taking care of myself i wasn't planning for the future in any way and i pretty much had a you know a joyless existence and now I have a vehicle where I can say things through music to people that I wouldn't feel comfortable saying over a coffee or over dinner. And I have friends, not just my bandmates, but my label, people I've met online, you know, whatever. I have a whole community of people that have like accepted me, the person that I hid for 45 years. And... I feel so not only fortunate and appreciative, but inspired by that. Like I, I am not going to let anything detract me from enjoying this (laughs) now, you know what I mean? And it's, I, I I think every day about this, um, this rights of spring lyric that says drink deep. It's just a taste and it might not come this way again. And I, when I was playing music, when I was a kid, I didn't think it could ever stop. And then it did. Right. And then I was producing records and I didn't think it could ever stop. And it did. So I'm not stupid. And I know that this won't last forever. So I'm not going to waste a minute of it worrying about what's next or what somebody else has that I don't have, or, you know, I, I, I am enjoying it because I never thought I would be doing this. I never thought people would like care about it the way that they do and I never thought that I would have like bandmates and that were like brothers, you know? So it's like there's nothing else in the world I don't, I want to be doing. So I want to do it all and, and and you know there will be some point where it's it's, it's gone and I don't want to look back and say Oh, I blew that worrying about some dumb shit or, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if that makes sense.
0: It makes perfect sense. It's, you know, I feel some of my own story in there. It's like it's almost like you have to. You have to to be happy like this podcast we do every week. I do it because not just because I enjoy it, but I have to. I've I've come from such darkness and unhappiness and now I get to do this thing that I love doing every week. So not only do I love doing it, but I I almost have to do it every week to to stay centered.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure for you, it's the same thing. Just having things on the horizon, it's like, it's so therapy, it's so, it's like, when I didn't have that, like, I I didn't process how unhealthy it was for me to not have anything to think about and care about. And what I did was, I took all of that, like, passion and energy that I had always poured into making records on myself. You know what I mean? Like I turned all of that thing that was positive for so many years into like, kind of like a loop in my head that was bad. And then I, um, in the same way that like when I was a kid, I was saying that it meant like my depression and anxiety manifested as like anger and misbehavior when i was older and i didn't have an outlet it it manifested in like deep dark <laughs> depression and um and really was only through writing the weight and the cost that i even realized that that w- was what was going on and it's really interesting because you know the thing is like writing lyrics like you know there's a little bit of like sometimes you don't even know what the song's about until much later but so many of the same themes kept coming, and if you if you um I, my most well known bands were straight edge bands right so if if you're trying to get back on the horse and make it big, right, you're not gonna be singing about you know like drowning your sorrow in alcohol,
2: <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, and I just kind of realized like wow, like this is um I'm not in a good place and and from that like my wife encouraged me to leave that job, which was the best thing that I ever did. And, um, and it's just been just been, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, I think that the thing that makes me the happiest about the last be well record is that I, it's a collections of, of songs that about feeling completely isolated and alone. And I thought, By putting that out in the world, I would end up being more isolated and alone, but I felt like I needed to do it. And the actual outcome of it was the reverse, which is the shit that I thought I was the only one that ever felt is not, not, it couldn't be further from the truth. Like, so many people have found themselves in the words for different reasons, whether it's you know, they've struggled with mental illness or they have struggled with parenthood or they've, you know, loss or grief or just so many universal feelings and people have found themselves and their own interpretation. And I don't feel isolated anymore. You know, I'm not saying I'm like healed and this was just like, you know, but it really has made me feel a lot less like I'm a, an alien living in a in a foreign land like I fully understand that I'm not alone in feeling the things that I feel and it has really like I mean it's a fucking work in progress but it definitely has helped me get up in the morning
0: yeah that's the thing the work never ends and it's it's for people like us Brian it sounds like we just have to focus that energy into something creative and productive and it can be this ongoing positive thing that heals us that sounds like your story and that's definitely my story and you know i i read a quote you were being interviewed about be well and you said you weren't thinking about when the band came together you weren't thinking about how it would sound so much but what you wanted it to feel like and so much of your personal experience has gone into these songs and i feel it i feel it i listen to the new record hello sun and i don't have this reaction I guess with more hardcore bands, I don't always have such an emotional reaction to it. But I, I really felt the emotion, like I, I got that tinge, that warm feeling when, when you're listening to something and it's affecting you in a certain way, and you know, it's it must be working. It, your personal experience that you're putting into this must be working. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean,
1: I, I don't know with the with the lyric stuff. I just kind of made a decision to myself that like. I'm just tired of hiding and I I'm just going to say the things that I'm feeling and if people don't get it they don't get it you know and it's it's really interesting because the amount of times that people have said to me like oh my god like you don't there's no way you let your kids hear this right <laughs> and I'm like I I the thing is if my daughter doesn't know this about me she doesn't know me right and if I, I can't show her that I can be open about what's going on with me, how can I expect her to be open about what's going on with her? So I don't hide this from my, I, I mean, I am not uncomfortable with anything I'm saying, but the thing that I, the thing that makes me the most stoked about the Be Well record is that I think that I had a fear that it was going to be seen as a negative record as like too dark And it is a dark record, but I think that I love that people – it's a hopeful record for me because it's an acknowledgement of something that's real and something that I want to be different in my life. So I am happy that people have taken that from it as well and not just seen it as this depressing doom and gloom thing. Because even though there's some really heavy stuff, it was a cathartic record to make. And it allowed me to reveal myself to people in a way that I never felt comfortable doing. And I I think that that's the most incredible thing about music in general, not just be well, but period, is that like it's a format where people are able to express themselves, and then people are able to take that ins- expression and view it through the lens of their life. Right? Like when I was a kid, I would sit and listen to records over and over, and read the lyrics, and read them, and read them, and read them. And when I was younger, and I didn't feel like I didn't have the words yet for what I was feeling, it was records that gave me the roadmap. You know that 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 were I was able to like read like you know. I don't know, Rites of Spring and Embrace and Fugazi and Gorilla Biscuits. And it shaped my whole, my culture, my whole like sense of humanity was developed by music. You know, it's like listening to Four Walls Falling and listening to, you know, all of these bands that had a real message. It like shaped me when my parents were out to lunch and I was essentially raising myself, I had records, you know, and so to be able to have been a small part in so many bands continuing to do that and now getting to do that on my own is, you know, it's just fucking awesome.
0: It really is. It really is. Tell us about some of your personal experience that has gone into the new record. You mentioned the weight and the cost it was about getting over and dealing with this time where you're working this job and sinking into this repression. And what is some of the personal experience that went into Hello, Sun? So it, it's um it's it's interesting
1: because I feel like if I'm like now that I can like zoom out and and look at the way the lyrics on the weight and the cost, I feel like I was like in the eye of the storm <laughs> in a weird way with that record where I I was so close and so in it that I really didn't have any perspective on what it was. Where I think the I feel like "Hello, Sun." The record is is still a pretty emotionally heavy record, but the it is notably different in that it is. I feel like I have a lot of clarity on what it is, you know, that I didn't have before, and I have. um, It's much more an exploration of how I let it get this bad and how i let it go on for so long then it then then the weight and the cost the weight and the cost is a panic you know it's that like holy shit what the fuck is happening and i feel like hello son is much more like there's like a, some distance and clarity and and i think that there is like i don't know i feel like for me it's like it is like an acknowledgement that I need help and that I don't have to do this alone, right? Like, I felt like nobody would ever understand what was going on inside of my head before. And also, that was at odds with Brian McTernan, the name on the back of the record, right? <laughs> that, you know, like people, not that I'm, I'm far from famous, but Nobody – I'm not a public figure. People have an opinion about who I am and have heard stories from the studio. And all of that stuff is so far from Brian McTernan, like the dad, the friend, the person that has struggled in their life. And I felt like last time nobody would understand. I felt like even if I asked for help, people wouldn't be able to understand. Like, like I – I can't fully admit that, like, I should not feel depressed. I mean, I shouldn't, like, I I can look at my life and say, holy fuck, I can't believe how much awesome shit has happened. I can't believe how much I'm loved. I can't believe how successful I've been. Like, I know all that to be true. And at the same time, I kind of can't feel any of that at all. Like, my... um. My internal monologue is negativity, you know it's like i'm not the father that I want to be I'm not the husband I want to be. Did I let this band down on this record <laughs> or you're like it's the, all the bads it's it's like uh it's um and it's funny because it's like I am so fucking scattered and a d d and out of my mind in some ways, but the one thing that I can always focus on is that like self-loathing and it's an it's amazing how that i don't have a problem focusing on and (laughs) um and but but the thing that the thing that i took the the coolest thing about the weight and the cost is one of my fears was like what are all these bands gonna think and all of them you know you know, I was Brian McTernan, the fearless leader in the studio all these years. And meantime, you know, I have this kind of secret life. And they're all like, oh, we fucking knew. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I couldn't hide it that well. And I think that honestly, in some ways, it helped people understand me more because, I, you know, in sometimes in the studio, I'd have shit going on. And bands, people can pick up on that energy. And so I think people knowing the true me, knowing what's going on in my personal headspace aside from when we're making music pr- probably helped them understand me more too it didn't make me feel further away from people so i guess to get to wrap the, up where get back to where we started is i know that i need help and i know that that help exists and i don't need to do it alone and i'm not doing it alone and that is so like although i really still do struggle with all of that stuff i don't feel scared anymore which i really did feel really scared because when you it's like when you bottle up that kind of intensity it's corrosive and it can eat you from the inside out and that's what was happening and so now it's kind of like i am a human being that is struggling and will always struggle Right. With a lot of this, like, I don't think a lot of this is not going to ever just go away. But that feeling of like isolation is completely gone. I mean, completely gone. That feeling that I am not the person that people think I am, that is gone. And like, I 100% have this band and this community to thank for that. And Um, I think that Hello, Sun for me is, it felt like the right collection of songs to be the next chapter in the story, I guess is what I would say.
0: And I think your message is important because the key is to find the right help for yourself. And it is out there. That's one thing I learned is I don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's out there. I just have to find out what it is. And I I isolated big time. I wanted to fix everything by myself. I did not want to have to involve other people because I had been hurt so many times in different ways. I just didn't want to have to deal with anybody. And I especially didn't want to have to ask for help. I still hate that. I still hate that. But once, like you said, Brian, once I finally did ask for help and opened up in the right forums, in the right ways, you know, I'm not just drunk and high at a bar pouring out my life story on the table to some poor person who's not ready to hear that. I'm getting the right help in the right situations, and I'm opening up, and I couldn't be happier. I'm not isolating anymore, like you said. And a lot more things are happening. So I think your message is really important to anyone else out there who may be struggling with similar things to what you and I have struggled with.
1: Yeah, and I'm happy for you. That sounds great yeah i mean in it and i think it's cool like and and it's funny because i've spent a lot of time thinking about like how fucked up the world feels right Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's a pretty it's it's pretty hard to not like look at the news and look at you know social media or whatever and not feel like oh my god like the end times but then i think about some of what we talked about earlier with like the mental health stuff and the acceptance of like people's sexual identities and preferences and just so, so you know the me too movement where people felt like they could come out and say things that they couldn't say before so that stuff to me does make me feel like encouraged that not all hope is lost in the world and and uh, you know i think it's it's cool
0: yeah as long as we're still here and still alive there's always hope yes well, Brian, tell us what's coming up. You've got this new record coming out. You've got some shows, some tours, right?
1: Uh, yes. So we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of, I don't know when this is going to air, but probably by the time this airs, the, a new Be Well single will be out. And we have some dates with Hot Water Music. And then we actually have some, and Strike Anywhere. Then we have a one-off with uh, snap case earth crisis and Strife, which is going to be insane Ooh. and and then we're doing the whole us with newfound glory and four years strong and then we're coming back and we're going to europe with hot water music boy Sits fire and sam i am
0: wow you guys are busy that's great and I'm i'm really happy because i love the band I love the records. I love everything you guys are doing. And you must be over the moon because you came from this soulless corporate job where, you know, you were trying something different and it you just ended up not being happy and look at this. Now you are back in an excellent band and playing some unbelievably good shows. You must be incredibly happy.
1: It's like the best midlife crisis that's ever existed, right?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I agree. Yeah, no, I'm gra- I, I I'm I am it is not lost on me how fortunate i am and i um and the other thing is music just fucking rules man like i just it's just nothing like in the world makes my heart beat faster the way than than music like there's nothing else like i can hear a song and i can remember where i was the first time i heard it i can go to a venue and think about like some the person i met that is like still a friend of mine today it's like it's just like it's fucking rad that we get to be a part of this. It just really is and and I um it it was only through losing it that I learned to appreciate it, really. And um you know, in this time I'm not going to fuck it up.
0: Please don't. We need you, Brian. <laughs> we need you. So, do you still record bands? Can we still get you? Um yeah, I still I record
1: some bands. I am trying to do less full records because like like last year I only did two full albums. But then I also I I've been doing a lot more like kind of writing with people or arranging like helping bands with like pre-arrangements to make the records. I've also been doing some just vocal tracking with people and I've been doing a lot of just mixing. So I'm trying to mix it up. The thing for me about full on productions is that I get so into it that there isn't, I just can't have my whole life be that anymore. So it's like, I don't want to do it any differently than I do it. But that means I need to do it less. And that's the, I think, the secret to not burning out again.
0: Yeah, it's just where you're at right now. Like you were producing for a long time. And now you're performing again. Who knows? You might be producing again full time. You just gotta, you gotta go with the flow.
1: Yeah. I don't think that will happen, to be honest, because the thing about it is I think that people don't quite, um, it's a very hard lifestyle. And like when I'm making a record, it's sincerely the only thing I'm thinking about. And I, I actually just, I just don't want my life to my records are better when I'm not doing a ton of them as well. Like, and like I, I have the experience to know that. And so it's, um. I don't envision a time in my life where I'm doing record after record after record ever again. And I'm totally good with that. I mean, that isn't like I will make a lot of records and I will be doing lots of creative shit, but you know, I also have, a wife. and a, I need oxygen for my own self in order to be a good producer, a good father, a good bandmate, all of it.
0: All right, folks, let's recap. Number one, we want to listen to Be Well, because that's what Brian's doing right now. We've got the weight and the cost, and we've got Hello, Sun coming out via Revelation Records, right? When does it come out?
1: Uh, it comes out May 20th.
0: May 20th be on the lookout folks and that single is going to be out by the time this airs so yeah so and
1: thank you guys so much for for having me, not only me on but so many of my favorite people on here
0: of course. I mean, if we can get everybody that you've worked with on the show at some point, we'll be like the biggest podcast in the world, I think. <laughs>
1: you know, you know what? If what once once you do that, then we can have like a, one of those special recap episodes where we can do like commentary on the highlights of all those episodes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wanna do that. I wanna do that. It's gotta I, I, happen. <laughs> I wanna do it too. Yeah. Well, Brian, thank you. This has been a real pleasure and uh
1: Yes, for me as well.
0: Yeah, just thanks for taking the time to speak with us. There you have it, folks. Brian McTernan. That was an unbelievable conversation. Like I told Brian, he's recorded all of my favorite bands. I could not believe, like I knew he was a prolific producer and engineer, but when I actually sat down and looked at the long list of bands and records that he has recorded, I was blown away. All of my favorite bands. The guy is unbelievable. He was such a pleasure to talk to hearing about his history with Battery. And with Ashes, Milltown. Milltown is a band I had never heard before. And like I always say, I was editing the episode and I went and listened to the Milltown EP on YouTube. Wow. Unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. If you have never heard the band Milltown, go check them out, folks. You have to. I was really grabbed by it. We've got the new Be Well record coming out. Hello, son. I love everything they're doing. And all of the discussion we had about mental health and depression that that was really important too because i got hit with depression this past week i don't know what was going on i don't typically get depressed out of nowhere you know it's usually as a result of something that has happened but i was supposed to go out wednesday night i couldn't get out of bed i couldn't get motivated i just sat there laying there sad and finally i got up and ate dinner and I guess around 9 or 10 p.m., I started editing the show. And I got right to, I was right at that point at the end of the discussion where we were talking about working through depression and, and what we do to maintain our mental health. And sitting there editing the show, listening to the words of Brian brought me out of my depression. And I was so happy that things lined up like that and I was able to pull myself out of it. Only lasted a few hours, but I'm glad that I got through it. So, Unbelievable conversation. Thank you so much, Brian. That was fantastic. All right, so let's check in. How are we doing? Us as a collective. As I sit here and record this today, it is Mother's Day. So, a big, big happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. You are so appreciated. I just got off a two hour phone call with my mom. So, I definitely just scored huge good son points. She's having a great day. She still lives down in Bucks County. So it was really great to catch up with my mom. I hope everybody out there celebrating is having a good day. Otherwise, everything is good. I've got all the new stuff for the show launched the TikTok, the Clips channel. I'm adding to all of that stuff, plugging away. We've got a ton of great conversations and great episodes coming up. And I'm so excited to bring them all to you. And yeah things are good. Things are good, and I don't really have any complaints. So that's it. Continue to support us. Follow our new TikTok account at New Scene Pod. Subscribe to our new Clips channel. It's linked in our main YouTube channel. And if you're not subscribed to the main YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? I mean, come on, you have to. So we're back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time,